0: Welcome to the Salem Fields Community Church Podcast of the Weekly Message. We hope that you find this podcast personally helpful, and we also encourage you to share the subscription link found at SalemFields.com slash podcast with your friends that might be able to use some practical advice and encouragement.
1: One of the really good things about this series is we've got to hear some of these um, songs that um, those of us that were brought up in these, uh, I guess you could call them Christianized homes, got to hear. I mean, I woke up to rise and shine. I better stop singing. Um, but we get to hear them. And so middle of our retreat this week, uh, uh Jody said, uh, would your kids like to come up and sing a song? And I just went, my kids. And so I text my wife, would the kids like to come up and maybe sing one of these songs? And she texts back, our kids. <laughs> and so after a little bit of conversation, my daughter who, uh, um, who doesn't mind performing, but doesn't like singing said, here are my stipulations need to be in a large group of children, and there's a microphone nowhere near me. I'll be happy to sing. But she's here, so she'll come up, right? She won't come up. <laughs> but we do have a group that uh, doesn't mind performing at all, and so what we're going to do is go ahead and phone a friend. Here we go. Get your lights ready. Come on. That's three lights in the room. Come on, let's light it up. That's good. I'm gonna let it shine. It's like only this little light out. of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Oh. I'm, oh. I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Oh. I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan get up, I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan get <laughs> up, I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan get up, I'm gonna <laughs> let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. Gonna I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let oh, it shine. Shine! 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 That's awesome. Now Gracie is actually performing in a gigantic swim meet in Blacksburg, but she still made it here. And she doesn't (laughs) mind performing at all. Um, And so that's awesome and that's wonderful. Another one of those classic songs for some of these classic stories. Alright, let's continue this dialogue today. This is going to be a little different. If you wanted to fall asleep you're going to have to leave. And so um, I think only three or four people have fallen asleep in the other services. So I think we're doing pretty good there. Alright, so here's what we're going to do. First of all, let's raise our hands if We have understood, at least to the point where maybe we could tell the story of Noah and his little arky arky before this series started. If you were pretty confident, you could look at this. All right, I like it. And it's all right. This is a safe place if you didn't. Oh, keep them up. Hey, that's good. Some people that didn't have their hands up before. All right, how about David and Goliath? Could you kind of get that? Yeah, we got that one. Uh huh. Jonah and the belly of the great fish for three days. A few hands. Yeah, good, good. Keep them up. 11 o'clock. All right, uh, how about um, Daniel in the lion's den? Yeah, there's good, that's good. How about Zacchaeus and the wee little man that he was in the sycamore tree? Uh, Some hands start going down. That's all right, we'll learn. How about Esther? One, two, three, four, five. You're a pastor, don't count. Five, six, six, seven, eight. The record was 14 at the 9 o'clock. Church folk. <laughs> we, don't like the, we don't like those church folk. And so I told a buddy of mine on Friday, yeah, I'm t- preaching on Esther. You know, I'm really actually very excited to do It's a great book. And he goes, man, you got the short end of the straw of that. And I was like, no, I don't have to paint it. And so Colin up here has to paint Esther. Um, not easy to do, but he's doing a great job. Um This is a uh, kind of a very interesting story, and I want to give a little family background here because I think it's going to actually help us get to the root of what this book is all about. Um, I got a five-year-old boy, and his upbringing is actually a little bit different from my other two children who are older. Um, My wife and I were raised in a Christian home, and so we did a lot of those same things that my mother and father did with... Allison and Benjamin, my two oldest, and so they they got that kind of thing going on, but God started working in, in Shannon and myself's life in a, in a much different way over the last decade, and during that time was growing and growing and growing, well, my five-year-old was uh, pretty much raised during his formative years in a pastor's home, and so what has happened is he's developed what I call Tommy theology, and so... There he is. This was taken on Friday, by the way. And, and so, Tommy theology is, is this strange, weird thing. Uh, first of all, if you have children, we know that we don't even have to discuss the doctrine of original sin. I mean, it's, we understand it already. I mean, I don't go around biting them, but I've been bitten numerous times. They're, uh, they're kind of wicked little things when they're young. And, uh, and Tommy, you have to have a head on a swivel with him. You just do you got to know where he's at at all times. But he has learned through devotion, through kind of Sabbath stuff. He's learned the program responses. He knows them. And so we'll ask a question, and he'll run through. His top four are God, Jesus, the devil, and love. And so he'll run through pretty much in that order, too. He'll run through them as we ask a question, because one of these kind of will usually fit the answer. So we'll ask some type of question, and he'll use his face like he's doing there to kind of coax whether he's right or not out of us, he'll say, God, Jesus, the devil, and then his go-to, love, that's his go-to one, all right, if those four don't do it, then he's like, I'm out, all right, but here's what happens, those are all really fine and dandy answers, aren't they, that's all, that is great, you, you should say, hey, as a parent, you should love that your five-year-old is doing that, no, because he's still wicked, I'm not laughing at that. My wife and I are praying every day that he sees Christ through us in a way that one day he'll say, you're my Lord and Savior. But he's got the answers. He knows what to say. And we can do that here at Salem Fields especially. We can dress a certain way. Most of you don't choose this. And you can. we can say certain things and sing certain songs... But then we walk out, and what happens? Yeah. We still kind of do the same old, same old rut. We're in that rut sometimes. And so I think what the book of Esther is going to kind of do for us is maybe help us, enlighten us, and try to get us kind of out of this rut where we're not just saying the right things and doing the right things, but we've got to transform heart that is going to just uplift the gospel and be a light in dark places. And that's what we want to do. All right. And so this is a pretty interesting little book. It has a very interesting cast of characters. But before we get into it, there's a reason for why a lot of these books were written. um, I'll be reading a lot in it. So if you have your Bible, Esther's found right before Job in the Old Testament. And there's a reason why these books are written. Well, Esther pretty much tells it. And it's in chapter 3. It's verse 8. And you'll see immediately why Esther has to actually be a book in the Bible. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed among the peoples in all of the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from all the other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. You see, what Haman doesn't say is who the identity of these people that he wants to annihilate are. They're the Jews, the Israelites. Now, what we're going to do from this time on is we're going to do some Tommy theology, all right? I'm going to ask a series of questions, and you don't have to do anything except say, God, all right? That's it. And you'll get them like, all right, unless I throw a trick question in. All right, so let's practice. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. That's pretty good. But this is 11 o'clock service. We've got a lot more people in here. Who created the heavens and the earth? God. Now that will keep people from nodding off. <laughs> All right, good. Well, guess who's got a problem with this plan and edict? Not bad. All right, yeah, God has a problem with this because in chapter 12 of Genesis, he takes a man called Abram and he says, many nations will be blessed through your offspring. And those are the Israelite people. The seed of Jesse, David was promised that forever there will be a king of the Jews coming from his line. And so annihilating the Israelites is not an option for who? And so, all of a sudden, we get the book of Esther has to take place for the salvation of his people. And so, uh, like all good books of the Bible, it starts off with a party, party, party. Is it not a party crowd? What it actually does, 180-day shebang, all right? right, That's six months, guys, all right? Well, when the kings of Persia would either go out from war or come back from war, often they would go ahead and throw these ridiculous parties. Well, Xerxes comes from a long line of Persian kings, and to get us kind of where we are in the story, uh, biblically, Daniel went off with Babylon around 600 BC, and in 539 BC, Persia overthrew Babylon. But he has a very interesting relationship with the Jews here. You see, he doesn't mind them at all. In fact, Uh, King Cyrus in in 539 starts allowing the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And this is where we get the books of Nehemiah and and Ezra and Haggai and those areas. And so we see that uh, what also has happened is the Jews find themselves getting comfortable. And so many of them don't even go back. And they stay dispersed throughout all of Asia Minor. And so this party's taken back in the capital of Susa. And this is a ridiculous party. It ends in a Mardi Gras. It's kind of the only way I can kind of describe it. Each individual, whether you are rich or poor, gets your own gold goblet and you can drink until you're filled for seven days. And this is how Esther gets introduced because good old King Erxes is feeling pretty good at day seven. It says he was high in spirits because of drink. And so he goes, you know what? do Queen Vashti, what you doing? Why don't you come on over? Well, guess what she says. She says, no. And so, believe it or not, guess who put it in her heart to say no? Very good. You see, this is kind of a strange thing because it gets all his boys together. He doesn't even know how to, to respond to this. He's like, what's going on here? She said no. And then he gets lawyers. It says men of the law that knew exactly about state affairs. He's like, he brings them in. Is she allowed to do that? I don't know. It's never been done. <laughs> all right? And so they all start thinking, wait a second here. If work gets out that the queen just the king, this could mean some problems at home. Edict time. And, that's, and we actually get a pretty important bit of information here as this edict, this decree gets sent out that wives have to listen to the, the orders of their husband. 25 years ago, ladies. I mean, 2,500 years ago. Be <laughs> chill. Whoop. Whoop. And so this edict goes out, and an edict from the king cannot be abolished, and it has to be Followed. And so this is, this is now going out. And here's what happens to a good old queen, Vashti. She, her name in one of the verses just goes to Vashti. And I think it's mentioned again to Vashti. No more queen. And then she's not mentioned ever again. Hmm. Opening at queen. All right. And so now let's go uh, get introduced to these little characters because here's where all this starts to unfold very nicely for us. First of all, we got Erxes, have kind of been introduced to him, but there's a strange thing about Erxes I want to discuss here in chapter 2, verse 12, all right? I mean, strange, and you're going to get a little piece of his personality here that I think will start opening your eyes to what kind of man this is, all right? Chapter 12, I mean, sorry, verse 12 says, before a young woman's turn to come into the king, er- to come into King Erxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics, Can you say issue? This guy's got an issue with beauty. And of course, guess who's going to use this for his glory? We're fading a little bit. Is it warm in here? You're getting cozy? Don't get comfortable. Then we got Haman, second guy that we want to look at. Um, He's one of those uh, guys who is good at what he does, He rises to power quickly, and he lets you know about it. You know them guys? You know, they kind of let you know that I'm good, and you're not me. Anybody? Mm -hmm. Here we see some of this in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hemenadath the Agite, elevating him and giving him the seat of honor higher than all of the other nobles. So this guy has risen, and now he's the second-hand man in all of Persia. All right? So he's got the power. All right? Third character, Esther. In uh, verse 7 of chapter 2, we learn something about Esther, and all of a sudden some light bulbs are going to trigger out throughout the whole room. Here's what it says about Esther. This young woman, who is also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother had died. And so what we see here is something that all of a sudden we got a little connection. Here we have an opening at Queen, orchestrated by who? And now we have a very beautiful woman, made by who? And a man who seems to have a weak spot for beautiful women. And lastly, Mordecai. Mordecai is um, one of the main heroes here. And we learn something about Esther and Mordecai here in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 2. It says, Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai, Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth, kind of like I'm doing, near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. And so Mordecai and Esther kind of get this little plot to hide really kind of who they are. Now Mordecai is actually going to not be able to do this much longer as we're about to see, but Esther does hide her nationality. And so we got a very odd group of main characters here for sure. And so how is God going to operate and fix all of this so that this edict, the edict that's going to get passed uh, to kill the Jews, um, actually somehow the Jews end up being victorious in it. And so let's go ahead. And so the uh, four of you or 10 of you or however many it was that know the story of Esther, now is nappy time. And the rest of us, are going to kind of walk through this and see how God's hand is on this the whole time. All right, so we have opening at queen, and guess who gets picked immediately? The beautiful young Esther, all right? And God knew this was going to happen. And so Mordecai sitting at the gate, one pretty interesting thing happens as he's doing this. He, guess who positions him perfectly to overhear a plot to kill the king? God. And here he is just out there at the gate, and he hears constantly this thing, and he reports it to Esther, gets word to Esther, Esther gets word to the king. They investigate and find out, yeah, two of these temple guards, two of these gatekeepers were going to plot and kill Erxes. And so this plot is foiled, and that's pretty much all we see. It's kind of dropped there at the end of chapter 2. But I guess there's going to be a further plan here, because guess who's in charge of this story? You got it. All right, and so what we got now going on is Haman comes out, he's big, he's noble, he's, he's that guy, you know those guys? He's that guy, who comes out, and everybody at the temple gate um, goes ahead at the palace gate and bows. But Mordecai gets to be known from now on as Mordecai the Jew. Because guess what he doesn't do because he only bows to one person. Who's that one person that he bows to? God. He doesn't bow. Now, someone who's full of pride... And is expecting an action from another person who doesn't get it? Uh-oh. And this is where Haman starts to get his vitriol against not just Mordecai, but his people. In fact, we see in the middle of chapter 3, in verse 13, this is listen to the amount of kind of literal hate that's here for the Jewish people. It says, Dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young, old, women, children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month of the month of Adar. And so the edict is out. And an edict from the king of Persia cannot be revoked. It has to take place. And so here we have a pretty stressful situation for anybody that comes from the Israelite or Jewish line. But they have something that the rest of them don't know about, and that is God. You see, what and this is probably the famous part, if you've known or been heard about stories of Esther, did Bible studies of Esther, here in chapter four is where you get these verses that everyone kind of remembers and takes hold of. Mordecai goes to Esther and says, this edict is out. We are in terrible trouble. We are going to be slaughtered. At the hands of Persia, you need to do something. And he utters this question, and our Tommy theology is actually good enough to answer it. All right? This is uh, verse 14 of chapter 4. It says, And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this? Who knows? Whoa, got one. Who knows? God, He's orchestrated the whole thing. And this, there's a little bit of conflict here in Esther because you see, Esther has hidden her nationality, hasn't she? She could probably survive this massacre and stay a Persian queen. But she then says her famous line, and she makes her, her stand with guess who? God. Verse 16, she says, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You see, you couldn't go to see the king unless you were summoned. Edict. He liked his edicts. But Esther kind of knew his king, her, her sorry, her king, and she got dressed up, probably threw some oil and myrrh on. There was definitely an odor or something, because there... That well, was probably not an odor, but there was something in the air because Esther goes to the king's court and just kind of walks, just an eye shot of the king, the king sees her, and he holds out his gold scepter. This is the, pretty much the symbol of his power, and he welcomes her into the king's quarters. And I don't know what it was. Actually, I know who it was. I don't know what it was about that day. But whatever it was, Esther had it rolling. Because he said, whatever you want, up to half of the kingdom, it's yours. Whatever you want. But Esther doesn't pull the trigger here. Someone stops her from saying anything. Guess who? Uh, You see, what she says is, you know what? I want a banquet for the king and Haman. And that's all I want. And the king says, no, that's not a problem. Good food, good drink, access to that. let's do this. And so Haman comes in, the king comes in, and in there's Queen Esther serving and doing her thing. The night goes great. Everyone is having a blast. And at the end of the night comes, and of course, Esther just has it going today. She just does. And what does the king say? Anything you want, up to half of the kingdom. It's yours, anything. And Esther says, I want a banquet tomorrow night with you, and Haman. And Haman's rolling right now. He's being entertained by the king and queen. He comes out high in spirits. We won't talk about what that kind of means in church on Sunday. Um, But goes to the gate. Everyone bows except who? Hey, you got the trick question. Good. Except Mordecai. He doesn't bow because he only bows to one person. That person is who? God. You see, Mordecai doesn't bow. And you see, Haman's got, you know, he's kind of tied one on here. And he's not, he's now livid and mad. He can't even wait for the day that he could actually legally go kill him. In fact, he goes home. Now, I don't know what it is about um, Haman's wife, but there's this part of me that's just like, man, she is rough. I mean, this is not a, you're going to see, because in 24 hours, uh, this bride of his, not too good. The night he comes home, steaming in anger, Alright, she gives him this idea. Have a pole set up reaching up to fifty cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. And this suggestion delighted Haman. Of course it did. He gets his arch enemy impaled on a fifty foot pole, cubit pool. I don't know what a cubit is. But this is great. It's a good idea. Thanks, wifey. Well, it just so happens, no matter what, whatever Esther's charms were that night, the king didn't have a good night's sleep. In fact, he couldn't sleep at all. All right? And what better thing for a king to do than have his own history read to him at night? That's a good thing to do. Now, my history would probably go about 10 minutes. His, he had chronicles. So they open up the chronicles and start reading. And they got to a very particular section about how Mordecai the Jew at the gate had saved the king's life by foiling this plot. Huh, I wonder who put him right in that spot. Very good. To read this history again and be reminded. And he kind of just goes, you know what? Have we even, did did he even get a trinket for this? And they were like, no, we haven't done anything for him. You know what? Mordecai deserves to be honored. He saved my life. He saved my life. I think I need to honor Mordecai. So give me a noble that will be able to hatch out a plan for us. And just then, Haman seems to come into the king's court. Who is good? God. After erecting his uh, 50-cubit pole, he comes on in and the king says, doesn't, again, kind of almost a very Esther slash Mordecai. It's kind of the theme. No one tells the truth in this book says, what would you do for a person that the king wants to honor but doesn't identify the person? And immediately, Haman's pride makes him think, guess who it is? Oh, man, he's going to honor me. That's awesome. And so it's like Haman had done this one before, like daydreamed it. I don't know when you daydream. Mine's in the shower, okay? Like daydream the whole thing out. He's like, hey, I know exactly what I would do for a person the king wants to honor. I get one of the king's horses. And I'd put the king's robe on him. I'd put the crest of the king right there on his head. And I would have a nobleman, a high nobleman, lead him through the town and say, this is what the king does for the man he wants to honor. King Xerxes loves it. He's like, that's a great idea. Could you go get Mordecai the Jew and do everything you just said?
0: <laughs> wah, wah.
1: That's a twist. And so he has to go on order of the king and honor Mordecai in this way. Now back to wifey. Not 24 hours later, do we... Don't do this to your husbands, ladies, please. Here's what she says to him. Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Have fun at the banquet. <laughs> not a, that's, not, that's not wife support, I'm just telling you. All right? Have fun at the banquet. But it wasn't fear of the Jewish people. What was it a fear of? God. And so off they go to the banquet again more uh, Haman being a little bit more heavy of heart now because he's had to do these things and things are really twisted against him. And so he goes to the banquet and it is a fine banquet yet again. Esther's got the king, it's done. And we know how it's gonna end. Up to half of the kingdom, anything you want. And she pulls the trigger right now. And she exposes this plot against her Her and her people, and so this is going to distress the king. Let's let's read it. It says this, seven verse three. This is what Esther says to the king: If if I have found favor with you, your Majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold and to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had been merely sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet. But no such distress, because no such distress would justify coming to the king. She exposes who she is as an Israelite and says she is now destined for disaster. The king is really befuddled. He actually gets up and leaves. Haman is really kind of fearing for his life at this point. And I don't know what he does, but wherever Esther was reclined at table or reclined in her couch, he kind of goes over there to plead with her just as the king uh, comes in. And when the king sees this, even though Haman is the right-hand man, he says, what are you doing? You're going to attack or molest the queen right here in the king's quarters? And he says, I need a gallows. I need something. Haman, you're going down. We actually know some gallows. And the very gallows that were made for Mordecai is where Haman actually finds his denies. And so uh, there's still a little problem of this edict, isn't there? It has to be followed out. Mordecai quickly does rise to power and they go ahead and say, why don't you send this edict out that the Jews are allowed to congregate and defend themselves on this attack? And something very interesting actually sweeps over the whole land and I want you to... uh, kind of hear this this is in chapter 8 and 9 chapter 8 verse 17 it says and many people from other nationalities became jews because of fear of the jews they're not afraid of the jews who are they afraid of yeah and then on the day of reckoning no one could stand against them because the people of all other nationalities were afraid of them they weren't afraid of them they were afraid of who? God. What a crazy little story. What a ridiculous event in history. And as I look at it in the in the form of these little Bible stories that we're talking about, and I look over here to Daniel, this man we learned about has this real conviction. He was this man of God from the start, whether he was in Jerusalem or carried off into exile. And I look at that, I'm like, man, I've lived a lot of my life not like that and I pray to God that I can get that type of conviction to move forward in my life. I don't have a lot in common with Daniel. The physique, eh. Why does everyone laugh at that? But that is something that I really pray for and press into God for. Noah in the ark. Noah is described in the Bible as a righteous man. Well, I'm disqualified. That's pretty quick righteous man but this cast of characters issues with drink lust pride lying vengeance prejudice this sounds like what jesus talks about the human heart in the gospels now these people these people i know And so what can we take from this? What is this little story really trying to get to you? And I'll tell you what was pressed upon my heart is that one of the first facts, it's just like a little fact that you read about the book of Esther is guess whose name's not mentioned in it one time? I think we can do that one better. Guess whose name is not mentioned in the book one time? God. This and the Song of Solomon are the only uh, books in the Bible that have that distinction. And so how, with all of these things that are going on, that we know we have the hand of God on. And I said, this tells me something. We either believe in coincidence or we believe in providence in God. Guys, you're here for a reason. And that's what Esther is telling me. You are here for a reason. It's not coincidence. There is no such thing. One of the main things I get from this is sometimes one that just it makes my heart rebel against it, but I know it's true. God doesn't need me to choose him. God doesn't need me to love him. He's God. Who is he? He's God. What kind of God would it be if they needed me? He doesn't need me to plead with him. He's God. Well, I'm sure glad I came to church this morning. But, this is here comes the Bible teacher in me. When you see them, butts. Therefore, so that's. When you see these conjunctions, pay attention to them. But what if he chooses us? What if he loves us? What if he pleads with us? What if he runs to us? Now, we might not be able to do anything to affect or change God. But what could the God that hung the stars and knows them by name, how could he affect and change us? Now, this is real, guys. This could take us away from Tommy theology, knowing the right things, saying the right things, acting the right way wherever our environment is. I want to march through just a quick run of scriptures. John 15 Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 1 John four nineteen, simple verses, so profound. We love because he first loved us. And one of the most beautiful stories, we love it because it kind of talks to us in a way that we just, this is what makes us worship him Is this, the prodigal son. We just love the story. But the images of the father in the story are the images that God is trying to impress upon us. And I believe it's what he's trying to impress upon us through Esther. If you're one of these people that have always played the game right, have always followed the rules, have always said what's supposed to be said, gone where supposed to be gone, done what's supposed to be done, and believe you need or deserve something from God and get mad when the, the other son comes back and don't want to go to the party. Look what the father does. It, these verses just amaze me and just impress upon my heart and they're a warm blanket to me. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Come in. And then, of course, the prodigal son. This is the one I probably, I probably, been on both sides of the track for sure, but the one where you're dead to me, I'm going to live the way I want to live, I'm going to do what I want to do. Finds himself in a pigsty. And he decides a servant, and my father's staff is better off than where I'm at right now. I'm just going to plead to be a servant. And we get verse 20. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, he threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. We might not be able to do anything for God. In fact, he's going to get his purposes done no matter if we mention his name in the whole book. But what if we allow this reality and this truth of what his word is saying and impressing upon our heart, what if we let that sink in? What if we let that he chose us, he loves us, he pleads and runs to us? What if we let that sink in? What if we let we just throw it up on, in football games John 3:16. What if we let this truth sink in? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The man who wrote over 50% of the New Testament, the apostle Paul, writes this in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. This is of first importance. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and on the third day rose from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. This is impactful. This takes Tommy theology and breaks it. Allow it to come in. Chose, love, pleads, run, died. Died. For us. I want to go ahead and just close today as just a one body, just praying out to God to let this sink in. So if you guys could rise up today, it would be awesome. And let's pray together. We're going to just pray this one. And the band will play out too. Just take a moment, let's bow our heads and allow this, allow a lot of info today. God, a lot of info today. Whatever it is you want me to hear, let me hear it. Let's bow our heads. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the the things that you've done in past history, these stories and these people who illustrate you in a way that we probably wouldn't be able to grasp without the beauty of your word. So God, we thank you for that. God, no matter where we are in this walk, whether you've never heard the name of Jesus Christ or we've been following for 60 years, this truth that you chose us, you love us, you plead with us, you love us, this truth, that you died for us. Let this marinate in our hearts. Let it be a warm blanket to us. Let it be able to take from this place that we stop playing church. We stop playing church. Let it let it affect our relationships with our wives and our husbands. Let it leak to our children. Take it into our places of business. God, we're pleading with you in this. God, if there's anyone who has not accepted this good news in their heart, let this be the day. Let this be the day. And I just pray for every heart in this room, including my own, that we're able to go ahead and grab this and hold on to you so that we don't allow things and people but it's just you we cling to and our devotion for you and our love for you changes everything and gives us the ability to bear fruit, fruit that will last. God, we love you so much. We love everyone in this room. We know there's no such thing as coincidences. Everyone is hearing this word because they need it in their heart today. God, And allow us to go from this place and be this little light in a world that is just screaming and begging for you Lord let us tell the world that God runs to them let us tell the world that God is pleading for them what would that be if we have an army of people that come from this place and point out to everyone they meet how much that God loves them how great would that be we ask this We ask this in your beautiful son's name. Amen.
0: If you are a new Christian and would like to know what to do next or where to go from here, you will want to get a free Next Step packet that contains reading materials and useful resources that will point you in the right direction. For more information, please contact Salem Fields Community Church at 540-786-6212 or visit our website at salemfields.com or email us at podcast at salemfields.com.